The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Engaging conversation with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Breaking news with Eileen Bell and sports with Morley Scott. This is the Afternoon News on 630 Chad, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. goodness it's three o'clock already andrew gross it is indeed uh hey sometime this afternoon we're going to check in again with our favorite uh, author right yes you know what remember um we talked to ted barris mm-hmm. a week ago he, he's written what 23 books some ridiculous oh, well, number of books he's like published like 18 or 19 he's working yeah. on 2021 20, 20, that's 23. right yeah. and he was in town to talk about the damn busters the new book that he's put out and people told us that conversation was so interesting they wanted to read the book and see him he was going to appear at festival place mm-hmm. in sherwood park but that was the evening in which there was an explosion in the parking lot yes. and uh his his avail was canceled for those two nights mm-hmm. so so he's back so he he is coming back he's actually okay. back in town so we'll just do a quick update with him at uh, at 4:50 if you can find out where when all that sort of all that sort of good stuff. So. Did you happen to catch uh, when we were talking to Gord Steinke yesterday and he was telling us at about 4:15 as he does every day what was coming up on global news and he made mention of the fact that there was a street in Edmonton that had a a, a ridiculous number. I don't know the words used, but it had a yeah. huge number of signs on mm-hmm. it. It was 106th Street from 61st Avenue mm-hmm. and for whatever reason that particular story just sort of piqued my interest, mm-hmm. so I watched um, and then did a little research into it. Have you seen pictures of this street? Andrew, I lived on that street. Really? I lived at 10637 62nd Avenue for numerous years. It so is right the craziest over in thing. Allendale. Yeah. Um, when I moved here in Edmonton, when I moved to Edmonton, I bought my little house on 62nd Avenue, believe it or not, from Kevin Carius, oh, uh, from what? Global. Really? So I lived over in that neighborhood for many years. And so to watch... You bought Kevin Carius' old house? I did. So to watch this and how it's changed over the past number of years has been mind-boggling because this neighborhood, you know, with all the nice elm trees and, mm-hmm. you know, the old little wartime houses and yeah. that sort of stuff, it was like, that's why I loved this neighborhood loved living there loved it and now to see what 200 signs in a stretch of it's ridiculous yeah uh, what is it how many meters along 106 it's just awful and ugly yeah. and once again it makes you scratch your head and say what the hell is the city doing yes and that's my point exactly on the uh, nail on the head right there so do you 15 remember block distance there are 220 different signs yeah and and the city and i don't want to you know I, I i'll give you the official statement from the city and then i'll make my point point. and when determining this is what the city said when determining Uh, Whether a sign is needed, the city uses guidelines indicated in the Manual of Uniform Traffic Control Devices uh, provided by the Transportation Association of Canada. At the same time, a certain level of professional judgment is used, especially when considering not only all the activity on the road, but the activity going on around it, such as playgrounds, schools, and other public spaces. In the case of 106th Street, there are bike lanes, pedestrian crossings, reduced speed playgrounds, and school zones all along the street. So while it may seem like a lot 
lot of information. Each sign has a purpose, providing specific information. The road user, whether mm. it be the driver, pedestrian, or cyclist, uh, needs to travel the road, road safely. This benefits residents, but also visitors who are not familiar with the neighborhood. So I'm going to stop you there on that. I'm going to stop myself there. Do you remember when they rolled out school zones? And yeah. then, oh, or and playground zones, yep. right? And then we determined that some of these playground zones, that that the rule was, if kids are playing, it's a playground zone. And suddenly, industrial parks had playground zones, or neighborhoods like mine. Every 20 feet, another playground zone started, and you didn't know what the speed was supposed to be. And that was just one sign. That was playground sign. So, on this street and another, there's another one. Uh, residents of the Queen Alexander neighborhood mm-hmm. have the same mm-hmm. problem. I'm going to take offense, not offense, I'm going to take issue because I don't get offended, um, to the city saying this only this not only benefits residents, no, but also visitors. No, you completely... This reminds me of trying to park in New York. So so I'm looking at the pictures right now. Yeah. So are you, Andrew. Yeah. Um, in the one picture, there are four, five, 30, maximum 30 signs within a... A block. Yeah. One, two, three, four, five. That's from the school down to 61st Avenue right there. Look at this one. Again, you can see the zero. You can look at them all. There's four. They're, yeah. they're almost in a row. They're like every five it meters. It looks every like a meters. sign museum. It looks like. And then what's this one? I don't, this one yeah. is redundant as well. It's oh, It shows up over and over again. Look at that one's back to back. I know. So my question is this. It's like someone was drunk. Yeah. And said, you know what? We're just gonna, you know what? We're just gonna stick these. We right. have, we have to plant. <laughs> yeah. Is so there a many, better way? We to... have to plant so many signs along this yeah. stretch of road. We're just gonna stick them all in there. Right. So you know, and you're alluding to my tree situation, the 15 <laughs> crews to plant a tree, right? And we've talked to city councilors about that. And again, it's not about my tree. It, it's it's about the process, right? So I I am not holding. Well, I guess I am holding councilors responsible for this because ultimately they're in charge, right? They're not the ones who are putting the signs up. And, you know, many of them now finding out about this street are like, well, okay, that is kind of silly. And they've heard complaints about it or whatever. But it's like there's no communication up. It feels to me, and maybe I'm wrong, it feels like the communication just goes down, right? Because it's like we need to put, wherever there's a school or a playground zone, we need a sign. Wherever there's a bike lane, we need a sign. Wherever there's a pedestrian crosswalk, we need a sign. And every now and then, all the moons align, and you get a street like this. We're following the directive of council that these signs are up, and it doesn't make sense. So whoever was last there as a city crew and saw it, right? You would think, or you would hope, wouldn't you, that that information would go back uphill to say, look, you know what? This is going to end up being a problem. We have far too many signs on this street. And that it would go up to council so they could look at it, or, or city manager could look at it, or the department could look at it and say, yeah, you know what? If you follow all the rules, you'll end up with situations like this. And it doesn't make sense. It's the average Joe again, where the average Joe would look at that picture that you're looking at right now and it's go, unreal. it doesn't make sense. It's the same sign, back to back to back. Right, because there's rules about when there's a different sign after the initial sign, you have to reinstate the first sign. You know, like, and as I say, when 
Everyone makes mistakes, and when a mistake like this, and this is a mistake, is made, I don't want to justify it. I don't want it like mm. I don't want the explanation mm. to be that well, you know, I think this will help visitors. No, it won't. Come on, seriously, put yourself outside of your department it's for a second. Probably more distracting. You're Way trying to, more. You're trying to keep up, and what's going on? Oh, did something just change? I have to look at this again. I have to look at this it's again. It's going to become a tourist attraction, honest to God, because it, you you look at the street, and that's what I was going to say. It's like a museum for signs. Like you know, if, the, you know the neon sign street that they've got it, downtown. That's what it reminds from, me of from Mercer Tavern. Yeah, that's. Yeah. Exactly what it reminds me of. And you know, there's more there's more tr- signs here than there are trees. And like yeah. I said, one of the one of the charms about this neighborhood mm-hmm. was was the tr- was all these big trees. Just just the neighborhood had that great little feel. Yep, and that's what I mean. The guy, listen, this- the guy who comes to my house, my street. And puts an orange spray paint mm-hmm. X on a pile of chips in order to tell the guy who's removing chips that that's a pile of chips. He knows that's dumb. That guy knows that's dumb. He knows that his job is redundant and dumb. Mm-hmm. So it, does he say to his supervisor, you know what, it's stupid yeah. to have to go and put an X on a pile of chips to tell the chip removal guy that it's a pile of chips? Or does he just or she just happy to do it because I would rather the person who put the 100th sign up or the 150th sign or the 200th sign to turn to somebody turn to somebody a supervisor and go you know what you should take a look at this because this doesn't make sense I know it's following protocol and I know it fits within all the bylaws and the directives and you're to my boss is telling me to do this but it doesn't make sense and no average person outside of a city employee no offense fellas girls would look at that street and go that street makes sense so when you see mistakes like that, don't you? Doesn't it behoove you to do something about it? Doesn't? Aren't you supposed to, as a as a citizen, forget who you work for and who signs your paycheck? As a citizen, well, don't you look at that and go, you know what? We don't need to put X's on piles of chips because chip guys know what a pile of chips look like. I guess it also, in part, depends on the culture of your of your workplace and mm-hmm. it depends on on the feel of your workplace as well if you have the confidence if you are given the opportunity if you know that it's okay and you're not going to be told oh never mind just you know shut your hole mm-hmm. and just go on with it do what you're told and i'm not saying that that's the case but i'm saying when when you have an opportunity and you feel comfortable in saying something Usually something gets said. Yeah, and that's just it, right? Because there is an impression, I'm sure I'm not breaking news to anyone listening, there is an impression that city employees, provincial employees, and federal employees find lots of ways to justify the rules. I'm not saying that's true. I'm saying there's the impression that they do that. There's the impression that they're lazy or they know they're redundant or, you know, there's that impression. So as an employee, if you take pride in your job, and which I'm sure most of you do, you'll want to avoid perpetuating that stereotype. So when you see a situation like the X on my chips, or if you see a situation like 200 signs in a, in a row on a street, rather than perpetuate the stereotype and say, well, that's what the work order says, so let's put a sign here. I just feel like it should have, there should be a process to go back up the mountain and yeah. say it doesn't make yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, and you, and you're, we're lucky here. We're, we're lucky here. We can go into our boss and pretty much say whatever is on our mind and uh, sit down and have a conversation with that person. I get the fact that maybe not everybody um, is that lucky. Listen to this text. As a city employee, and I thank you very much for texting. As a city employee, I routinely point out the problems. Oh, the city employees are texting us now. Awesome. I routinely point out the problems with the implementations of many projects, and I can tell you management doesn't listen often and cannot give you a reason as to why they do what they do. Mm. 
Huh. Following signs in Edmonton is the definition of distracted driving. Aren't we supposed to be cutting back on that? <laughs> See there, and Jason says, the problem with city workers and, and the silly work ethic is the union mentality. And that's, Jason, maybe, uh, but that's what I'm talking about, that we have this impression, whether it's right or wrong, mm. that they have this mentality of not caring. And I've met lots okay. of city workers. One of our close friends is a yeah. manager in the city. They care a lot. Yeah. But they feel many times, and I shouldn't speak on their behalf, that nobody's going to listen mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. Until it hits the paper, yeah. until they're pulling plaques off park benches, until yep, they're, yep. you know what I mean? And this one, you know, council's not in charge. Council has only one employee, the city manager. Correct. But he reports to them, and he's in charge. She. She, sorry, yeah. Mm. They're, they're, you know, at the very least, have you never worked for a place that had a suggestion box? You know what I mean? Like, at the very least, should there, and in these days of technology, should there not be a way that city employees can anonymously go to the city manager through an online yeah. form and say, hey, we've got a problem here that's going to be embarrassing? And I'd be interested to hear from, I think it's the Park Allen, because that's the Allendale Community, or Park Allen Community Association over there, about that, about about their thoughts yeah, this, uh, absolutely. As well. I mean, think about in your neighborhood, if all of a sudden you had 200, 200 street signs go up in a stretch of... <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm pretty sure the Twilliger Town uh, Association might have something to say about it. Cause, because, again, it does change the feel and the look of a neighborhood. Um, difference between scratching your butt. Yeah, absolutely. Fair enough. Go. Still to come on the show, Michael Bublé tickets and Backstreet Boy tickets. Again, you'll have to identify some tunes. That's exciting. Um, switching gears a little bit. Mm-hmm. We we first told you this story way back when, when it went viral and it was all happy, happy. And everyone was yeah. like, oh, this is so great. I Look remember at the, saying, do you want to hear a feel-good the story? feel-good Friday story, probably. But boy, oh boy, have things ch- changed. And, and we've been getting updates over the past couple of months about how things have, have changed. And it changed again big time today. So you'll remember... Um, there was a New Jersey couple mm-hmm. that the woman, she, had, she ran out of gas right. and she ended up talking to a homeless fellow who ended up giving her, her his last $20. Johnny in turn, Bobbitt. Johnny Bobbitt. Yep. In turn, uh, the couple set up a GoFundMe page and managed to raise like $400,000 for Johnny Bobbitt. Yeah, and the and idea then, was to restart his life, allow yep. him to get clothes, a place to live, a uh, computer, rehab, a phone. All of that. Yeah. And things seemed to be going along. Everything was fairly quiet until Johnny Bobbitt spoke up and said, hey, I'm not getting the money that they promised me. And here's the weird part about the story, folks. That's not the worst That's part. That's not it. So he speaks up and says, hey, this money's being filtered into the couple's account. They're buying cars and uh-huh. vacations with it. They're gambling. They're big gamblers. They like to go to the casino. And I'm not getting the money. Uh-huh. So people started asking GoFundMe to freeze it and see what's going on. And this is an outrage that this poor, big-hearted, homeless man who gave his last $20 to a stranded yeah. motorist was being treated so unfairly. So he files a 
lawsuit. He files a lawsuit, and then there's discovery, right? <gasps> when you file a lawsuit, everybody has to sit down, and, and discovery is mm. all the evidence is presented that's going to be uh, presented again at trial. And during the discovery process, it's determined wait a minute, these three are actually co-conspirators. Mm-hmm. The story never happened at all. The woman never ran out of gas. The man never... The three of them planned they it planned all. They planned it. And in fact, the couple uh, uh, exchanged several texts talking about the fraudulence of their plan and encouraged each other to keep quiet as it continued to go Viral, And to make matters worse, it turns out it wasn't all that tough to unravel the story. This individual, this Bobbitt fellow, he is, by the way, a legitimately Mm -hmm. homeless guy. Um, But he had done a similar thing out in California, which he documented on his Facebook page. And as we've said many times in this show, nothing's ever deleted for real forever. So he had gotten rid of that story off his Facebook page, but some people doing some digging were able to find it where he had done a very similar thing with less success but now the only question remains as to Mm -hmm. who concocted this story Mm -hmm. and uh, you know whose idea was it and who went along with it Uh, but it turns out that basically this is a story of con men and thieves stealing from one another yeah so now um surprise surprise the money is reportedly all gone although no one knows where it uh, went to and the three Mark D'Amico his girlfriend Kate McClure and Johnny Bobbitt have all been charged with second degree theft by deception and conspiracy to commit theft uh, commit theft by deception mm-hmm. all of those the sentence carries up to uh, five years in prison and you know these folks had a book deal coming down the pipe they were going to make even more money on the book deal because it was such a great story now if you're wondering what became of or what will become of the money uh, as we said, 401000 already dispensed. Uh, they dispersed. don't know where it is. It, it's gone, right? Now, the page has been frozen, so you can't mm-hmm. add to it. Good. But many people now, with this story coming to light, would like their money back because they were deceived, mm-hmm. right? So at this point, everything's sort of up in the air because GoFundMe does have a policy that says that you can have regret. That's one thing. There's another that if you've been deceived. Mm -hmm. And then there's a third where there's criminal action involved. So we have to see what the outcome is because the refund may be limited to their maximum, if given at all, of $1,000. So anyone who gave more than that, likely not getting it back. And maybe none of it back. But if it turns out they get convicted... They may have to pay back. GoFundMe may have to step up and... uh, and be responsible. The prosecutor stated that if the three had not started fighting over the money, that, quote, there's a very good chance they might have gotten away with it. Hmm. They might have gotten away with it. What is it? If you commit a crime, don't talk about it. Never do it again and never tell anyone. The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad.